MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, July 21st, 2021. Today, Trump ally Tom Barrick is arrested for illegally lobbying the former guy on behalf of the UAE. The Associated Press made an error when it said Merrick Garland wasn't going after Wilbur Ross. It was Bill Barr that made that decision. Dr. Fauci unloads on Rand Paul. The vice chair of the Massachusetts GOP resigns after sending inappropriate text messages to underage girls. And Trump aides kept Rudy Giuliani away from debate prep by giving him wrong meeting times. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hello, everyone. Dana's out, so I'll be doing the A Block all by my lonesome, but not the whole show. Even though Mandy is traveling, Amy Carrero has agreed to join me later for the Good News Block. So I'm very excited about that. And I'm going to be going over the Tom Barrick indictment with Robert Denault, investigative journalist, a little bit later in the show. Although I will be breaking it down in excruciating detail with all of the players and yarns on my murder board so that you can put it back right in your mind where it was when we were talking about it two years ago, pretty much to the day. So we do have a lot of stories and stuff to get to. So let's do that. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Of course, the lead story today is that Tom Barrick has been arrested. The charges against Tom Barrick, who led the former guy's inaugural fund, amount to a seven count indictment for being an unregistered foreign agent and obstructing justice. Barrick, whose primary residence is in Los Angeles, was taken into custody in California and indicted on foreign lobbying charges related to his dealings with the UAE. That's according to an indictment filed by the Eastern District of New York in Brooklyn in a federal court. Now, I, I want to you know, make sure that I give you this quick update. The arraignment happened and he's being held. He's being held right now. So he's not out on bail, which blows my mind. The judge said he was a flight risk. A real estate titan who became wealthy buying out of favor assets. Barrick was one of Trump's closest associates during the campaign and in office, regularly speaking to the former president, visiting him and channeling him to others, including business officials and leaders in foreign countries. Barrick joins a long list of friends, campaign associates and other Trump advisors who have faced criminal charges, including his former campaign chairman, the chief financial officer of his company, the former Trump organization lawyer, Trump's former White House strategist and his former national security advisor. Hmm. The other two defendants charged are Matthew Grimes and Rashid Sultan Rashid al-Malik al-Shahi. He's also known as al-Malik and also Rashid al-Malik. Barrick and Grimes were arrested Tuesday morning in California and are scheduled to make their initial appearance this afternoon before a United States magistrate judge. Her name is Patricia Donahue at the federal courthouse in L.A. And as I said, he made that appearance and he is being held following the 2016 presidential election. This is from the announcement from the Department of Justice now. The defendants repeatedly acted at the direction of UAE officials to influence foreign policy positions of the incoming administration in favor of UAE interests. For example, in December 2016, Barrick met with Grimes, Al-Malik and senior UAE government officials during which he advised them to create a wish list of U.S. foreign policy items that the UAE wanted accomplished in the first 100 days, six months, year and four years of the incoming administration of Trump. In March 2017, Barrick and his co-defendants agreed to promote the candidacy of an individual favored by senior UAE officials for the position of United States ambassador to the UAE. In May 2017, Barrick agreed to provide Al-Malik with non-public information 
about the views and reactions of senior United States government officials following a White House meeting between senior United States officials and senior UAE officials. In September 2017, Al-Malik communicated with Barrick about the opposition of the UAE to a proposed summit at Camp David to address ongoing disputes between the state of Qatar, the UAE, and other Middle Eastern governments, after which Barrick sought to advise the president of the United States against holding the Camp David summit. And that summit never happened. In furtherance of the alleged criminal conspiracy and conduct, Barrick and Grimes, with the assistance of Al-Malik, acquired a dedicated cellular telephone and installed a secure messaging application to facilitate Barrick's communications with senior UAE officials. Hmm. On June 20th, 2019, Barrick voluntarily met with FBI special agents. During the interview, Barrick allegedly made numerous false statements, including falsely denying that Al-Malik had ever requested that he take any actions on behalf of the UAE. Count one is the foreign agent count. This count is the latest move by the Justice Department to beef up enforcement of laws aimed at limiting and disclosing foreign influence in the United States. However, the foreign agent statute used to charge Barrick was not FARA, was not the Foreign Agents Registration Act, but a lesser known statute typically used to charge individuals accused of working at the direction of senior officials of a foreign government. It's very different. Count two, that's the conspiracy to act as agents of a foreign government against the three fellows. Count three is obstruction of justice. And counts four through seven are 1,001 charges, making materially false statements. I will go over the details in this 46-page speaking indictment on this weekend's Mueller She Wrote podcast. And the Associated Press story yesterday saying it was the Biden Justice Department that refused to prosecute former Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross for misleading Congress was wrong. They have updated and corrected the article quietly, saying, quote, This story has been corrected to reflect that the decision not to prosecute Ross was made by the Department of Justice during the Trump administration, not the Biden administration. Pretty big mistake, Associated Press. According to Marcy Wheeler on Twitter, that raises more questions, including why didn't the Commerce Inspector General release their report? Did the Department of Justice Inspector General complete a report? And if so, where's that one? And what did it say about Ross lying to Congress? And in another story today, the Massachusetts Republican Party's disarray continues to escalate. Vice Chairman Tom Mountain announced in an email to GOP state committee members that he is resigning his position over a scurrilous and demeaning blog post. And that's according to the Boston Globe. Mountain did not name the blog post he mentioned, but the newspaper noted a story posted by Turtle Boy Sports on July 9th titled Vice Chairman of the Mass GOP leaves tons of creepy comments for women on Facebook, including underage girls claims he was hacked. The story alleged that Mountain had left, quote, creepy comments about an intern for Rep. Gary Palmer. The story alleges that some of the comments were left on photos when she was 14 or 15. Mountain also allegedly left creepy comments for an intern working for Rep. Lee Zeldin and left a really weird boomer comment on pictures posted by a young conservative activist. The state party has scheduled a special meeting to discuss the allegations on Monday night. Quote, his resignation and whatever further drama it brings are just another blow to the party that faces dwindling vote shares and limited fundraising. The struggling state party was recently derailed by scandal after Deborah Martell, an elected Republican on the state committee, wrote anti-gay emails to and about a gay Republican congressional candidate, bringing condemnation from figures as prominent as Governor Charlie Baker and Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel. So last week, 16 prominent Massachusetts Republicans announced they would no longer donate to the party unless the chairman was replaced. The group had donated a combined $1 million. And there's a little bit of breaking news. Last night I tweeted about a seeming 180 on COVID by Fox News and some prominent right-wingers like Hannity, Geraldo Rivera, and Rudy Giuliani. 
all now encouraging folks to get vaccinated. I wondered in the tweet if some donors saw the market plummet, some rich donors saw the market plummet like 800 points and told them to change their tune, or if they were wondering if Fox was worried about their voters dying in large numbers, or wondering also maybe a third option if Fox News lawyers were trying to head civil class action lawsuits off at the pass. As it turns out, at least one of the reasons is that the White House has confirmed they've had discussions with Fox News over the vaccine coverage. Jen Psaki said during a press conference today, the White House is in regular contact with multiple news outlets. The Delta variant now represents 83 percent of sequenced cases in the United States. That's up from 50 percent just two weeks ago. Hospitalizations are also up 50 percent from two weeks ago. And in L.A. County alone, cases are up 700 percent as mask mandates come back. And Nancy Pelosi will not yet say if she plans on vetoing any of McCarthy's picks for the 1-6 commission, but did say that voting against certification of the election isn't a disqualifier. I hope Jim Jordan is vetoed, but we will see 50-50 on this right now. The other two who voted against certification are Banks and Niels, and we'll see what she does here. Again, I'm 50-50 on this, but I'll keep you posted. 50-50, I want her to get rid of Jim Jordan. I'm 50-50 as to whether or not she will. And now it's time for a little schadenfreude. schadenfreude. This is a twofer for you today. First, aides to former President Donald Trump were reportedly so desperate to keep Rudy Giuliani out of debate prep sessions that they r- resorted to using crude deception and subterfuge. Business Insider has obtained a copy of the new book, I Alone Can Fix It, by Washington Post reporters Philip Rucker and Carol Lenning, which details the Trump presidency's disastrous final year that saw him lose the 2020 election to Biden. According to Business Insider, Trump allies Chris Christie and Kellyanne Conway were deeply wary of Giuliani's approach to debating with then-candidate Biden and did not want him influencing Trump ahead of the all-important first debate. After Giuliani blundered his way through one debate prep session that aides described to the authors as supremely unhelpful, that's a quote, a decision was made to keep Giuliani out of the next session no matter how much he begged to help. Quote, aides told Giuliani, They would be gathering at 2 p.m., though they were scheduled to start at noon. (laughs) They had tricked Giuliani by giving him the wrong time. This reporting tracks with reporting from reporter Michael Wolf, who claimed that no campaign officials wanted Giuliani in the debate prep, in part because he passed gas constantly. And your second bit of schadenfreude comes from Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan. Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain-of-function. So what was, let me take, finish. You take an animal virus and you increase its transmissibility to humans. Right. You're saying that's not gain of function? Yeah, that is correct. And, and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially. You do not know what you are talking about. All right, everybody, we'll be right back with Robert Denault to discuss a little more detail about the Tom Barrick indictment right after this message. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for the beans. I'll admit it, I am sometimes guilty of procrastination. Okay, a lot. I'm guilty of a lot of procrastination. I've been putting off seeing the doctor and procrastinating about it just adds to my stress, but not anymore. I'm making it easy with Plush Care. Plush Care provides virtual doctor appointments through your smartphone or computer. 
PlushCare makes it super simple to schedule an appointment and see a doctor. I just pick a time that works for me, click, click, and I book it right online. It's so simple and so user-friendly. Now I can prioritize my health and you can prioritize yours too and still keep it stress and hassle-free. With PlushCare, I can be diagnosed, treated, and even have prescriptions sent to my pharmacy of choice if needed, all within minutes. PlushCare accepts most major insurance carriers and they're available in all 50 states. And the providers are really great. They care. They're available anytime I have questions and they're always able to help by discussing treatment options and providing those prescriptions as needed. PlushCare has been such a stress-free and pleasant experience. It was so easy to schedule an appointment that was convenient for me and I can take my provider wherever I go. And I felt immediately comfortable and confident with my doctor too. PlushCare makes it easier than ever to take care of yourself inside and out. Start your membership today. Go to plushcare.com slash dailybeans and start your free 30-day trial. That's plushcare, P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E dot com slash dailybeans for a free 30-day trial plushcare.com slash daily beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Big news today and joining me to discuss it is independent journalist and almost lawyer, Robert Denault. Hello, Robert. How are you on this fine indictment Tuesday? It's good to be back so soon. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't think we'd be talking about this so quickly, but you know, you and I spoke a couple of weeks ago and we briefly mentioned Appendix D and all of the handed off sort of redacted 12 that we knew of at the time, other cases and that, you know, that had been handed off by Mueller to other offices. And today in the Eastern District of New York, right in Brooklyn at the Federal U.S. Attorney's Office, Tom Barrick was charged on a seven count indictment with two of his buddies, Al Malik and a guy named Grimes. And, you know, you and I in the past have talked extensively about Al Malik as well. And it's it's just fascinating. He was picked up. He was arrested in, in Los Angeles and he is being held. It's a it's a surprise. I you know, I think what this is to me is a sign that those referrals are alive and well. Um, and I think that a lot of Americans, we sort of touched on this last time we spoke, had maybe given up hope that things, you know, that Mueller had deliberately avoided because they were outside his mandate or that he had referred and maybe they got killed by other other attorneys at DOJ. I think this is a very big sign that that's not the case, uh, that the Justice Department is not just going to move on from some of these very serious allegations of corruption and foreign influence over an entire administration. And the conduct that this indictment covers goes from the Trump campaign in April 2016 all the way through 2018, halfway through his first term. And and 2019 when he obstructed justice. Right, right. And so this is a piece of a puzzle that was referred elsewhere. And although it you know, requires patience on our front, here you see the wheels of justice are still turning. They're not just going to let this go. They're not just going to move on from this stuff. And Tom Barrick, a billionaire you know, very powerful, very wealthy man who has been involved with Donald Trump since the 1980s, by the way, and has pretty deep insight into some Trump projects. He was the proposed funder for uh, the Washington Hotel, the, the uh, post office that they took over, and then he had to back out in the summer of 2016. It was kind of confusing. No one really knew exactly what happened there. But he has ties to, to Trump that date back very far. This is a close friend of Donald Trump. He was clearly very influential over the campaign, over the administration. And now, he is charged with felony criminal charges. Yeah. And and I think that his being a friend for four decades to Donald Trump is interesting. In And also that we got a speaking indictment here. This is a 46-page indictment. This isn't, we had a couple things and we just filed it. But, you know, before we started recording, you mentioned 
that, you know, he was picked up in Los Angeles and being held. And it seems like he, this isn't the, the kind of the normal way this goes, right? Normally you're charged, you get a letter, you turn yourself in. He was arrested. This is this is reminiscent to me of when they were like picking up Nader at Dulles as soon as he landed or, you know, like what are some reasons that prosecutors would want to get their hands on on Barrick without warning him that they're coming? I mean, p- presumably, uh, you know, I, I should say, assuming that that's even what happened. Yeah, it definitely seems different. You know, if you think back to some of the other cases that are similar here, like Manafort, I, I think some of these people turn themselves in. You know, there were agreements for when people would, you know, be either picked up by the FBI or turn themselves in at a local um, office, FBI office or something like that. It doesn't always happen that way. Roger Stone was arrested at his house. Um, but, you know, there's a couple aberrations that I kind of thought were of note. Usually if FBI goes to arrest a citizen, uh, especially on like white collar stuff, it tends to happen really early in the morning. It's usually like a 6 a.m. knock, get out of bed, this is happening, we're doing it out of sight of the press. This seems like it happened in the middle of the day. I mean, now, there could be details we don't know. I, I, I should speak to that. There seems to be very sparse details. But another reason that it seems like he was not fully aware this might be happening today because they were not ready with a ton of statements. He did not have a team of lawyers ready with a ton of explainers for why he is you know, not guilty. And now they just had a, a bail hearing and the judge apparently expressed some concern that, that he's a flight risk, that his lower level associate is a flight risk. So I wonder if there was concern about him being out in L.A. Maybe prosecutors had noticed some plans to travel abroad. I don't know. But it did seem like it came out of nowhere and there was no indication, at least in the press, that, you know, we knew that this investigation existed, but we did not know it was heating up, nor did we know that an indictment was on the horizon. No, right. Not like we've the Matt Gates has been heating up or the Rudy's been heating up in the Eastern District there. I think, you know, you bring up a couple of great points here. And, you know, as I just mentioned, he was interviewed in 2019 and obstructed justice. He lied on several occasions, particularly saying he wasn't doing any work for the UAE and and that he, you know, et cetera. And, you know, that to me says that the Justice Department under Trump kept this investigation going. What are your what are your thoughts on that? Because a lot of people see this and a lot of people are reacting like, oh, see, Merrick Garland is is pushing things back into gear. But this has been this has been happening. Yeah, it's clear that um, the the offices of DOJ, especially the district offices, continued on these investigations in the Trump era. And we did, you know, they deserve credit for that. And we should, you know, commend those U.S. attorneys who had the courage to risk their jobs uh, and move on potentially politically explosive investigations like this, because they certainly, you know, didn't have to interview Barrick, but they pursued this, right? They wanted to talk to him in 2019. That's, you know, height of Trump's uh, tantrum throwing control over the Justice Department. He fired the SDNY chief, um, you know, toward the end of the administration. Um, but this was over in the Eastern District, not SDNY, but EDNY. And so you have to wonder if there was some sort of, you know, effort to shift some of those investigations over to EDNY for some reason to, to keep them from influence or keep them from obvious interference from the Justice Department. I don't know. I mean, usually I, there must be a New York nexus. And I, and I know Barrick's company based out of New York. So, you know, the idea that there's probably a lot of jurisdictions there that could investigate Barrick and his involvement here. But 
Um, it's clear that the Eastern District of New York was moving on this during the Trump era and that it was continuing throughout the administration. Yeah. And there was, you know, a very powerful player in the Trump orbit. Yeah, for for sure. And I think he's also being parallelly investigated, <laughs> investigated uh, right. in D.C. for the inaugural. And And here's what we don't know. We don't know if perhaps... Eastern District prosecutors were like, let's not even bother going to Bill Barr or Jeffrey Rosen with this indictment. Let's go later. Because, you know, a lot of us had posited that, you know, these these investigations kept going, but perhaps clearing them through the top levels of the Trump administration was something that perhaps they were sort of sitting on and waiting on. And we don't know if that's the case. We don't know if they went to Barr and Barr said no. And so now they're going to Garland and Garland says yes. We don't know if that's the case. But these investigations uh, are alive and well. And, and your because my instant immediate thought was that that whole redacted Appendix D, this had to have been something that the Mueller team handed off to another office. Uh, we don't have confirmation that that's the case. I have emailed a few people to tell me whether those redaction bars could possibly come off of Appendix D because they've been pulling them off as those investigations happen. Yeah. But, you know, we also have to be very conscious that there could be other investigations involving him that we don't know about yeah the new york times seems to seems to think that that i, I shouldn't say seems to think but they framed it as a, a, some investigative matters were referred by Mueller regarding him um and that this arose out of those things it, it was very careful wording i don't think that's confirmation that this specific referral is one that Mueller touched and discovered and pushed over, or if it was some other investigation that this is some tangential part of. Um, because again, like you said, the inaugural has been the subject of a civil investigation in D.C. And we've heard murmurings of maybe another investigation into that and, and that that might have been happening in New York as well. And so I, I suspect this is maybe an opening salvo to try to get some cooperation. There's no pardon coming for Tom Barrick. So, you know, he, he, his, his options here are limited and the evidence in this indictment is, is pretty strong. Um, not to say, you know, the statement that was released by DOJ regarding this, this indictment is among the most scathing I've ever seen, especially for a case that's sort of politically fraught, but they, they call this a betrayal of the United States. They call this, uh, they, you know, they're putting people, uh, regardless of their wealth or perceived political power, on notice that the Department of Justice will enforce the prohibition of this sort of undisclosed foreign influence. They are absolutely going after this. And, and I think that exact language, we're putting people on notice, is like a shot across the bow at people who might be thinking of not cooperating. Um, so, you know, we'll see where this leads. But I think it's fair to say he, he has his hands in many Trump pots. Yeah, he definitely does. And, you know, I was thinking like with regards to Rick Gates, you know, my, my first thought went to when the judge in the Manafort case thanked Rick Gates for his substantial cooperation and that a lot of things couldn't be released because he was continuing to assist in several other matters. And we know that Rick Gates and Barrick were very close, especially on the inaugural and we, you know, we don't know whether Mueller was looking into Cutter and QIA and, and the UAE or whether that was handed off and maybe this rose out of that. We we honestly don't know. And we and I don't think we're going to get too much detail anytime in the near future. But it is definitely worth. Well, everything's worth speculating for me. 
<laughs> speculating about. Especially when you end up being right a lot of the time. So. Yeah. So, you know, I just, and the, the obstruction of justice charges, this feels like, oh, and, you know, you pointed out on Twitter, Politico had, had made a good catch. This wasn't prosecuted under Farah, or they, they aren't prosecuting under Farah. They're prosecuting under something else. Do you, do you have any insight as to why it's not Farah and why it's this other thing? I'm not in, entirely sure. I haven't had that much time to dig into the nuances of the statute that it's being charged under. I've seen some back and forth from some very sharp people like um, Josh Gerstein uh, from Politico and Marcy Wheeler has also noticed this and, and is pointing out very intelligently to, to a lot of reporters who are saying this is a fair violation that it's not quite. Um, there seems to be some confusing lingo on DOJ's website about this statute, which says filing under Farah might exempt you from prosecution under the statute, but that doesn't necessarily make this a violation of FARA, which just sounds technologically uh, nightmarish. But I think what the, the bottom line of the difference is, is that what they are alleging in this indictment is that Barrick, for reasons unexplained, was at, acting at the direction of senior foreign government officials. And that's different than FARA. FARA is, is general lobbying for a foreign government, a foreign entity without registration. But um, to be working at the direction of senior foreign government officials and, and influencing U.S. policy on behalf of the senior members of a foreign government, that looks a lot more like Maria Butina, like that you are a foreign operative, not necessarily a lobbyist who didn't you know, failed to register or file your paperwork, you were acting on behalf of an interest that was completely not the United States and you were influencing United States policy. Um, it's curious. And why were you doing that? And they don't really lay that out. They, they, they're, you know, I saw someone point out that uh, Barrick's business gets a lot of business from the Middle East and he's made a lot of money there. And of course, uh, you know, money, sure, that makes a lot of sense. But this indictment does not lay out a scheme where Barrick is paid like a lobbyist to do this work. Barrick is wealthy. I mean, he didn't need to like go be a lobbyist. So you have to wonder what they're getting at here. He was doing work for foreign countries at the direction of senior officials of those countries. What is the bigger you know, deal? Why was he doing that? And, and are we going to get any more information about who else might have been doing that? Yeah, very true. I do have a couple more questions about some of the wording, some of the legalese in this indictment, but I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Everybody will be right back. Hey, Beans listeners, it's Allison. This year, I'm really focusing on my nutrition and boosting my overall health. I have researched and tried a bunch of different omega-3 supplements and found my favorite by far, head and shoulders, is Iwi. Iwi's secret is algae. It's on a whole nother level than plain fish oil. They realize that fish get their omega-3s from algae. So Iwi goes straight to the source and they skip the middle fish, as it were. So you get to skip those, that, you know, that nasty fish taste that, that lingers all day. Iwi's proprietary form of algae leads to 50% more absorption, too. And that's the world's highest absorption rate of any omega-3. Iwi's patented formula goes right to your bloodstream for more absorption, more health benefits. And in a clinical study, Iwi cholesterol helped reduce bad VLDL cholesterol by 25% on average in just three months. No matter how old or young you are, you can reap the benefits of Iwi and their algae. So if you're all about the healthy lifestyle, adding Iwi to your self-care supplements is a must to support your heart, brain, vision, and overall wellness. All of Iwi's products are plant-based and their algae is sustainably farmed in the United States. And it's never too late or too early to start taking Iwi. Go to iwilife.com slash dailybeans and use code dailybeans, all one word, to save 30% off your first purchase. Take advantage of this limited time offer. 
iwilife.com. That's I-W-I-L-I-F-E.com slash Daily Beans and use code Daily Beans for 30% off your first purchase. Again, iwilife.com slash Daily Beans and use promo code Daily Beans to get that 30% off. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration and this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And today's episode is brought to you by Context Travel. I am so excited that the world is opening back up for travel again. And if you're like me, you're probably already planning your first trip. The absolute best place to start your journey is Context Learning. With context, I'm already learning about all the destinations I plan to visit. It's like getting an insider knowledge of the go-to places for my next big trip long before I even hop on the plane. They run live expert-led courses and virtual tours and lectures too, Uh, but they do this around the globe. Travel with context across the globe to over 60 cities across six continents, visiting the world's cultural and historical capitals. I am so pumped for this. The last time I got a chance to travel overseas, I learned so much about history and uh, my family. And for me, exploring new places has always been an amazing learning experience. And the best part about context is you get to skip the line and off-hours access to popular sites. On any given day, you can uncover ancient Rome with an actual archaeologist or go behind the velvet rope in the Louvre with an art expert or walk the streets of St. Petersburg with a local guide all from home. I've already taken an FDR lecture and I hit it off so well with the professor who gave it and who also happens to be a friend of Steve Laddick. We're going to have him on the podcast and I'm going to appear on his podcast. It was such a cool learning experience. Next, I want to visit Egypt. Uh, and I want to do that virtually with a context tour. I'm I'm signing up for these left and right because I love them. Uh, listen to Susan in L.A. who said uh, about one of the testimonials. She said, this tour was like a walking TED Talk, massively informative and entertaining. Can't wait to recommend it. Uh, so Daily Beans listeners, if you love travel and learning as much as I do, you're going to love this. For a limited time, when you buy one virtual tour, you'll get a second tour free. When you use promo code Daily Beans, all one word, at contextlearning.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-X-T, learning.com. And again, use promo code DailyBeans, all one word, at contextlearning.com. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking to Robert Denault about the indictment of Tom Barrick today. Seven counts, four of which are 1,001 charges. And the other three, as we've discussed, there's a conspiracy charge in there. And I noticed the former guy makes appearances in these so many indictments and <laughs> conspiracy charges. Uh, he's referred to as candidate one in this particular. We've had individual one. Now we're, we're looking at candidate one. And I'm wondering if if you could explain sort of the mechanics of referring to other people who may or may not be innocent or may or may not be under investigation, because a lot of people seem to think that because somebody's named they're an unindicted co-conspirator. I don't see that here particularly, but I also don't see anything that says it isn't. So can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, you know, when you parse through these indictments, and we've talked about this before, the, the nuance between unindicted co-conspirator uh, versus individual one versus um, someone who might not be prosecuted at all, cooperating co-conspirator. Um, you know, the difference is, was someone aware of an agreement uh, to commit, you know, an act with an unlawful purpose? And did they take a step to further that agreement? I think that with this indictment, I, I don't see the language that frames it like they think or are pursuing a theory where Trump was a person who was part of this agreement, um, at least not yet. And I think that it's interesting that they framed the announcement very much like this was a betrayal of Trump. They literally said this is a betrayal of United States government officials, including the former president. And so it puts him in this weird position. You know, if he's not a co-conspirator and he was betrayed and the crime is actually kind of part perpetrated on him, 
then he should have no problem slamming, you know, Tom Barrick. And this is terrible. And why would you defend this um, or back him up if you're the one who they're saying he betrayed? Um, so it's kind of confusing, but I, I don't see them pursuing anything in here that makes it immediately apparent that they'll tie him in. What I think is more interesting is the theory here that the type of influence Barrick was pushing and the things that they point to um, as concessions he was getting from the administration and the campaign before that, that were positive policy um, solutions or gifts to the UAE, that puts the writing on the wall for maybe some other policy concessions that made no sense from the Trump administration and other individuals who are in the Trump orbit that seem to have benefited mightily from countries that got very bizarre policy support from the administration. So if the DOJ thinks, well, we think these policy concessions are serious enough that they really do indicate, you know, some serious policy issues and influence over the U.S. government, I I think if I'm another person who exercised influence over this administration and got paid by a foreign country, I am not feeling very safe right now after this theory was put into a seven count indictment. And Kushner. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm specifically thinking of some of these weird ass that whole weird shell game that went on with the Qatari blockade. So weird. And Saudi Arabia. Yeah. One of the weirdest policy, you know, we were all uh, those of us watching it were like scratching our heads. It made no sense. And Qatar was a is a close ally of the U.S. There was no reason to to back up a faux blockade that came out of nowhere. And then we learned later that, uh, you know, the secretary of state Tillerson and other people have been cut out of meetings that Jared Kushner had with the Saudis before the blockade was announced. They did not think Trump would announce support for it. Then he goes on Twitter and he did. Those acts, if these things are considered, you know, policy influences that are the result of criminal influence by Tom Barrick, I think it's quite believable that if you could obtain similar evidence, you could easily point to those policy concessions as very similar types of things that made very little sense, but were maybe the result of powerful influence people who weren't acting in the interests of the United States when they were pushing for those things. But that, you know, depends on the evidence, depends on what you can get. Yeah. And then we had Pecker put out a a full glossy, go into bankruptcy almost to put out this full glossy magazine about how awesome the new young princes were in in the UAE and, and Saudi Arabia. Then we had the Qatar Investment Authority possibly having its hands in the sale of Rosneft, which we're still missing a a giant chunk of commission on that nobody was able to trace. Look at the inaugural. And then, you know, we had like there's just so much that he could possibly have his hands in and so many weird policy decisions that were made surrounding Qatar, UAE, Saudi Arabia. And then, of course, we can go all the way back to the Middle East Marshall Plan with Flynn and McFarland, Bud McFarland and KT McFarland. And, and a guy named Copson, who Flynn was texting from the dais of the inauguration saying, we're good to go to colonize the Middle East and build our reactors. You know, like it's just it's just so much. And 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 I know I do know that Barrack had put out these statements about the two amazing new young youthful leadership in the Middle East and trying to put a new shine on all of that and nuclear technology. We can, you know, dip into that. And I think Rick Gates knows all of that stuff. And um, maybe. But again, I'm totally speculating here, but it just seems really, really that there was a multifaceted lobbying campaign for the polishing 
of MBS and and his and M. Who's the other one? MBS and um, Bizayed. Yeah, MBZ. Imbiza. Yeah, yeah Imbiza. <laughs> That's right. That's what I call them. <laughs> yeah, and don't forget too that, that the Qataris uh, bailed out. You know. Kushner companies. Yes. Kushner companies. Jared almost ran it entirely into the ground. His dad went to prison. Jared took over the company. He sold almost all their assets and invested in one giant uh, office building in the middle of Manhattan. And they almost uh, defaulted on their mortgage. The devil building. And were owe a billion dollars on a mortgage. And they were pressuring, you know, Charles Kushner, uh, Jared's father had apparently, according to the New York Times, gone to the Qataris and asked them to bail them out. They declined. That pressure campaign continued. And then lo and behold, Qatar is subject to a blockade from Saudi Arabia after Jared met with them. And then all of a sudden, Donald Trump is supporting that blockade. And so there's lots of threads to pull on from the Middle East approach. But you're definitely right. It, there seems to be a uh, a bizarre amount of ties between this very small circle uh, of Trump um, wealth that was knee deep in the Middle East and pushing very hard for specific odd policies. Um, I think you mentioned something last time I was here about you know why we would never have wanted Mueller to to rush on things and and lead cases that could be easily appealed, that could have been tossed out, that could have been absolutely obstructed or pardoned out. And part of me has to wonder if some of these things were strategically left unprosecuted because they knew that Donald Trump would just pardon Tom Barrick. They knew that he could easily dangle these pardons and get nobody to cooperate. And so lo and behold, here we are about seven months after he's gone. And we're getting some insight into these crazy threads that we've all been scratching our heads about for, you know, four and a half years. So hopefully we get some more answers. But I do think, you know, Robert Mueller should be commended for handling that investigation very well and not making it a media circus and not trying to go after more than made sense at the time, even though we all were pushing him to do it. Yeah. And that's more evidence for Barrick being surprised by his own arrest, right? You don't tell him. If you tell him, he's going to go and lobby for a pardon and probably get one. Although I would be surprised if he didn't try already. I was a little surprised he didn't get Me one. Me too. I was thinking about today. I was like, why didn't Trump try to preemptively pardon that? I mean, this seems like the the gateway. Um, and you think of uh, that Melania's friend, Stephanie Winston-Walkoff, like she has been singing from the hilltops that uh, Tom Barrick was knee deep in something very fishy going on at the inaugural. And she should be commended because she really has gone out on her own. She was totally their fall guy. They made her look like she was a grifter. And I think a lot of the press really kind of ran with it. And now she seems pretty vindicated that she's been, you know, railing against this, this Tom Barrick for the last three years. And here we are. He's under indictment and she is not. So, you know, let's uh, let's see if she has any more information to add. Yeah. Yeah. I do have to sort of wonder with you as to I mean, I had a feeling, which is why I rebooted Mueller. She wrote I was like, I think people are going to be allowed to start prosecuting. I specifically had in mind those 12 redacted Appendix D investigations or things that arose from them. And I do firmly believe this came out at some point of Mueller's office or the origins of it, the oranges I think you're right. were provided by the Mueller investigation. 
But we will see where it ends up and we'll see. Do you think they're trying to flip him or do you think he's the target? Um, I mean, I think he's a really big target. He's a very big fish. That should not be understated. And frankly, I was a bit surprised that I think the media was taken off guard by this as well. Um, I was sort of scouring the networks to see who was covering this today. And there were blips, but it was probably not the level of coverage that it should have gotten. Tom Barrick is a very big fish in the Trump orbit, orbit and he knows Donald Trump's finances. I saw Vicky Ward uh, from Vanity Fair put out a really good tweet that a lot of journalists in New York are wondering, you know, is this an effort to send a message to Trump and Weisselberg that if Weisselberg does not flip, Tom Barrick also knows a great deal about Donald Trump's finances. And so that is not, you know, Weisselberg may not be the end all be all in cooperating about what exactly was going on at the Trump org. It's speculative, but it's a good point. I mean, he was directly involved in helping Trump, you know, sort of figure out his financing for a lot of his shadiest strangest deals, um, you know, not having a direct hand, but in, in one instance, at least with that Trump hotel in Washington was apparently going to be the financer of that and then backed out. Uh, so what exactly happened there? Why did he back out? And then, you know, some <laughs> questions like that, I, I have to think he's, he's a big fish. He may be the main target. Um, but I think they would be happy to take a plea if he'd be willing to explain exactly what the heck went on with the inaugural, um, what went on with other influence peddling that was happening in the administration, what went on at the Trump organization. Was any foreign money, any foreign money anywhere in the Trump org? Now, that's a question we just don't have the answer to yet. And that's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, I would bet my left arm that Eastern District of New York and Tish James and, and Cy Vance probably have meetings every once in a while. I, it's just I think so just a thought. Yeah. Well, thank you. We will keep an eye on this. This is huge. And he, like you said, he is a big target. I don't want anyone to, you know, be like stuck on the fact, wondering if he's going to cooperate or not, or if they're just charging him with these charges to get him to flip. It doesn't feel like that to me. This feels like a massive conspiracy indictment and that he's definitely a target. But like you said, nobody's not going to, you know, they're not going to kick him out of bed if he wants to testify <laughs> against bigger things. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly and, and he's a billionaire. You know, they don't like to go to jail. So, you know, he has a lot of reason to want to protect himself. He is not getting a pardon. So this is a very interesting situation. I keep my eye on it. I wouldn't hold my breath that he's going to immediately cooperate. He's got a lot of money to fight the charges, but it, it's not outside the realm that he will not want to go to jail. Yeah, no. And and real quick, just in like 30 seconds or so, because a lot of people are, are saying, oh, there's a pocket pardon. There's a pocket pardon. I, I just want everyone to there's not that it's not because Maybe you can tell me if I'm right here, but if he didn't register his pardons with the Department of Justice, it's going to be real hard for him to prove that his pardons now are valid and were made while he was president. It's weird. It's a weird area of law. I mean, I, I understand people thinking it's possible. Um, I, I, we've never had somebody try to issue a pocket pardon, so we really don't know what the effect would be. My thinking is, though, I, I highly doubt that the Justice Department would file an indictment and reveal a lot of this information if it was all moot and there was a pardon somewhere hidden that made it all impossible to prosecute anyway. And I also think there's probably a lot of um, questions about whether they could have even had a grand jury investigating this matter if it was pardoned. Yeah. You know, not to mention, why would you pardon Broidy and Flynn and Manafort and not Barrick? Like, Right. And there was always that question, that legal question of whether you could pardon something before a charge accrued before you actually know what the conduct is. Um, and I think it's possible he could have put a bigger target on Barrick's back by issuing some sort of pardon. Therefore, you know, send the prosecutors out to look for everything else in his life because 
just <laughs> signals that the guy was good. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much. And I'll be in touch. I appreciate your time. Uh, tell everyone where they can follow you. Follow me on Twitter at Robert J. Denault. And uh, yeah, we'll be keeping you posted about what happens with this case and so many others that may be on the horizon. Yeah, we're coming up on the end of July here. And this is the charging period, the charging decision period for Matt Gates. So we're going to be keeping an eye on that, although we still haven't seen any Ingersoll or any stuff. But And, and of course, Greenberg said, there's no way between now and August 19th, I can possibly tell you about all the crimes. I need more time. And I don't know if that pushes back the Gates indictment, although I think that were probably the first questions he was asked. But I don't know. And we won't know. So we'll, we'll, you know, if you follow Robert, you'll be up to date on everything Central Florida. Yeah. I promise. You'll know what's in China. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's Allison for The Beans. One thing I've learned from this podcast and the other podcast I do is that entrepreneurs can have a gargantuan impact on the world and, you know, on a local and global scale, too. Like today's sponsor, Bolin Branch, who started with a mission to produce the highest quality sheets on the market and make the world a better place in the process. They were founded in 2014 by husband and wife team Scott and Missy Tannen to give more sleepers more choices for high-quality sheets at a fair price. Bolin Branch partners with family-owned businesses that align with the same values and standards that we care about here at The Beans. Their ultra-soft organic sheets are transparently sourced, and they're produced in safe, fair conditions with toxin-free processes and fair trade certification to ensure workers are paid fair living wages. You'll feel a difference, too, and you'll know you're making one. My Bowl and Branch sheets look and feel amazing. They're super comfy. The ultra-refined Lux fabric has a spectacular drape and a silken feel, which I absolutely love. Bowl and Branch has an incredible variety of the most high-quality sheets. They're buttery, soft, lightweight, 100% organic cotton sateen. The weave that they use, it's perfect for all seasons, and it comes in a variety of colors and all sizes, from twin up to California king. So to experience the best sheets you've ever felt, choose Bowl and Branch. You can try them worry-free for 30 nights, with free shipping and returns. And listeners get an exclusive 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L, and branch.com. Promo code DAILYBEANS. And today's show is also brought to you by Blue Blocks. Have you ever left your fourth Zoom meeting of the day after staring at the screen and then looking at Excel spreadsheets and you have a pounding headache and watery eyes and you're like, I just can't do this. And then realize the meeting hadn't quite ended and your mic was still on. Just kidding. I mean, we're not Jeffrey Tubin here, but I used to get the worst headaches and tired, sore eyes after staring at the computer screen all day. But thankfully, I found the solution to my computer blues. The answer is Blue Blocks. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X. They have a variety of amazing glasses designed to solve very specific problems. I got the blue light computer glasses for headaches, sore eyes, digital eye strain, watery eyes, and fatigue. They also have glasses to help with migraines, stress, anxiety, and low mood, and others that help with poor sleep, fatigue, low energy, and jet lag. They cover all your bases. Blue Blocks' stylish frames have been featured in GQ and Vogue, so they look great. I love mine. And their science-backed technology is tested to ensure they actually work, unlike other blue light glass companies. They've really helped me with my digitalized strain and headaches. Uh, now I can work on the computer all day without any freakouts or anxiety or headaches or watery eyes. It's amazing. With glasses for every need, Blue Blocks glasses come in non-prescription, prescription, and reading options. And Blue Blocks ships worldwide in rapid time and always has easy returns and exchanges. Their customer service is great. So go to blueblocks.com slash dailybeans and use promo code dailybeans, all one word, to save 15%. That's blueblocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com slash dailybeans. And then use that coupon code dailybeans to save 15%. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're- Way. 
And as promised at the top of the show, since Dana is out today and Mandy is also traveling, I have recruited the fine vocal stylings of Amy Carrero to help me with the good news. How are you, Amy? I'm going to sing the good news, all of it. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I am really good today. Feeling much better. I keep feeling better every day, so I'm very thankful for that. Good. And, you know, Tom Barrick got indicted today, so that's fun. Woo! We love to see it. Yes, we do. And Jared Kushner hates to see it. And I'll get into that. Yes. On this weekend's Mueller, she wrote about the whole. Oh, I can't wait to listen. Everything it touches, everything the Barrick indictment touches. But we have some other good news today. Great. And a couple of court cases. So I'm going to kick us off, Amy, with a submission from Mary, pronouns she and her. Hi, A.G., Dana and Amy. I have a misheard song lyric for you all. When I first heard the Prince song Raspberry Beret, I thought he was saying either raspberry sorbet (laughs) or raspberry parfait. The fact that she could wear it was very confusing to me. (laughs) (laughs) Raspberry sorbet. So good. Love it. Now I want some. Messy. Messy for your hair, but (laughs) she rocked it. Uh, Mary goes on to say, I've been feeling a bit blue lately, and this podcast has helped me in terms of giving me something to look forward to. I enjoyed Monday's interview with Mary Trump, and I look forward to reading her next book. Awesome. Thank you, Mary. Me too. I can't wait to read her next book. It's going to be so good. Dope. I love that. Also, I think parfait is maybe worse than sorbet because it's got all the dairy in it. Mm, Yeah. So if you were to wear a raspberry parfait, I'd, I'd... I'd I'd be I'd really just be really concerned. Okay, um, next up, anonymous pronouns she her. You were talking about terrible nicknames on today's episode, and it reminded me of one of my favorite books, Good Omens. It's about the apocalypse and the angel and demon who are teaming up to stop it from happening. In it, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are bikers. <laughs> they meet up with four actual hell's angels in a bar, and then the hell's angels decide to travel with the horsemen of the apocalypse. They also decide to change their nicknames to align with the horsemen's themes of terrible things. First up, grievous bodily harm. Next, cruelty to animals. Next, really cool people. And treading in dog shit. Dot, dot, dot. Formerly things not working properly, even after you've given them a good thumping, comma, no alcohol lager, comma, embarrassing personal problems, comma, and finally, people covered in fish. (laughs) That's, you know what? This actually, if you're reading this, it kind of reads like a bad mammoth play where like every other word is capitalized. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I did not read Good Omens, but I watched it and it was amazing. If you you haven't seen it, I highly recommend checking it out. It's a great series. Funny story about Hell's Angels, if you'll indulge me. Of course. I was in Cape Cod this weekend for my birthday. And we, you know, you see a lot of kind of hoity-toity people in Cape Cod. You don't expect to see Hell's Angels. And there was a, a biker group of Hell's Angels wearing the the biker outfits and everything, like really scary tattoos. And they were just watching these um, seals, like, come up and play around with one another. And I thought, That's kind of sweet. I mean, they were like, you know what? In between our very important business, we're going to stop in this town and watch the seals. So there's a good story about Hells Angels. Watching the seals. I maybe even have a picture, too. I'll send it to you. Yeah, I definitely have to see that. Anyway, thank you so much for the submission from Anonymous. Appreciate it. Next up is from Matt, pronouns he and him, with the white supremacist gang names generator. <laughs> this is for, for earlier Love it. in the week, Amy. There were some yeah. 16 white supremacists that were 
indicted in Florida and their names were like Shrek and Scumbag and Chain Gang. <laughs> like they had really terrible names. Chad. Yeah. So here we go. Ku Klux Ken. Love it. Oh, my God. Although I think it would be Ku Klux Ken. Sturm, oh, yeah. <laughs> Sturmer Steve. Warren of Northern Aggression. Oh. Proud Boyce. 4chan Stan. Oh, no. Jimmy Crow, also known as COVID-19. And, of course, their leader, Adolf Coors Hitler. Thank you for that. Oh, my God. That's pretty good. That actually reads like a generator name dispenser. I love it. I love to see it. Uh, next up, from Philip, pronouns he, him. Hi, Beans Queens. Good news and some funny stuff. Good news-wise, you all made me think of my dean the other day when your good news featured the kid named James Tiberius after Kirk. It made me think of her because two of her children are named after the Star Trek characters. Now, I'm going to hopefully get AG to maybe nerd out on Star Trek because we had a meeting scheduled on Friday and the dean titled it, all right, this is this is you, AG. You say this because I can't. <laughs> Whoa, Batlavad. Whoa, Batlavad. Whoa, Batlavad in the Outlook invite, which is Klingon. Nope. Klingon. 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 For the Empire. <laughs> After the meeting where I accepted new responsibilities, the downside of being tenured, I accepted the offer via email and she replied thanking me and ending me with. Kapla, or success slash victory. Oh, I love this. The Klingon in jokes all come from our shared love of Star Trek and the time I did a face shield video evaluating the face shields we've received last summer in character as Klingon warrior scholar and in front of a Klingon flag. Am I saying that right? Klingon? Klingon. Okay, Klingon. Which I'm somewhat sheepish to admit ended with, and hopefully with these new tools provided to us, we might continue to earn honor and glory in the battlefield of the lecture hall that we shall not have to say Exactly. Or today is a good day to die. Glory to you, Dean, insert name here, and to your college. She ended up forwarding that video to her chancellor and her cabinet. And the next day, my assistant provost had sent me an email in Klingon. Just had to share all of that due to AG's love of Star Trek. And I pray this makes it on the show. <laughs> you didn't just make poor Dana read no, it. No, we made well, poor Amy read it. You <laughs> made poor Amy read it. For stupid gang names, Shrek's Mean Green Machine, Floridian Pond Scum, for Louis Gohmert, Louis Gohmert is so stupid that Donald Trump makes comments about how incoherent the guy is. <laughs> Thanks for all that you do. Remember to also take care of yourselves and your mental health. Man, that was an exercise of linguistics. Oh, I love it. I, very cool. It always just sticks out in my head when Worf went to play tennis or he's about to go play tennis. And he's like, I will do my best to secure victory on the battlefield. And then you guys like, it's just a game, you know. Yeah, right, right. You're like, sir, this is an Arby's. What I love it is doesn't, also they're that... like, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. You know, the, yeah. the point is, is that it's fun. And he goes, if it does not matter if we win or lose, why bother playing the game? That's just so funny. Listen, I understand that. I understand that sentiment. And I appreciate Philip's commitment to the character, especially when on a faculty meeting call. <laughs> really, really appreciate that. Yeah, I have to appreciate that. Next up from Sean, pronouns he and him. I'd like to add my gang name per Dr. Ag's request on Tuesday. This one is in honor of my mother's favorite form of punishment when I was a kid. My gang name, oh. disappointed. As in, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. <laughs> 
Oh, man. For pet tax, I submit my 11-year-old puppy, Trigger. He had a weird thing for wanting to poop on every cactus he comes across. One of these days, his hips are going to give out, and I'll find myself pulling spines out of his geriatric butt. Until then, I'm going to let him have his kinky fun. Keep up the good work, ladies. You make morning so much more enjoyable. Look at this beautiful dog. Oh, what a baby. Tigger. Trigger? Trigger? Trigger. Is it Trigger? Tigger. Excuse me. I thought Trigger. Oh, my gosh. Look Look at this picture. This dog is literally on the cactus. Oh, my God. Ow. (laughs) <laughs> Ouchies. Well, what a brave dog. I'm into it. Oh, God. Wow, wow, wow. Oh, man. That's something. Okay. Next up, Amy's Court. Dun, dun, dun. Anna Marie, pronounce she, her, needs some clarity. Hello, Allison and Amy. My mom and I have a question for Judge Amy, but not so much a dispute. She was just asking me where the nickname Kraken Lawyers came from. Oh, this is a good question. I don't know the answer to. I told her I thought it was probably coined by someone who meant crack team of lawyers but got it wrong. Can you either confirm my theory or clear up my error? Where did that ridiculous name actually come from? Thanks for all the laughs, swears, and, of course, the news. Um, Is it? Is that the name of the law firm? <laughs> no. The Kraken is like this terrifying sea creature. Like a sea oh, monster. Right. Release the Kraken. Yeah, the it, Kraken is, is appears off the coast of Norway. According to Norse sagas, ah. the Kraken dwells off the coast of Norway and Greenland and terrorizes nearby sailors. So that's where they got the name. Okay. And I And then there's a producer's note. Mm. So I wish we could help. I mean I mean it's a good theory. <laughs> It's a very good theory. It's kind of like misheard lyrics. But the producer's note says, here's a completely bonkers illustration from the terrible right-wing political cartoonist Ben Garrison of what they thought the Kraken was. Oh, no. They totally got it wrong. (laughs) Yeah. So Ben Garrison also put out a cartoon recently of Donald Trump on horseback fighting (laughs) a windmill and the windmill blades were like Twitter and Facebook, you know. And MSNBC. Oh so a Don Quixote reference. Yeah, but apparently he has no idea or hasn't read Don Quixote because in Don Quixote, he's battling imaginary enemies. Imaginary enemies. A hundred percent. Oh, man. Well, I remember I've heard release the Kraken in something, maybe like one of those movies like Aquaman or something. I can't be sure. But I believe it was in Clash of the Titans. Yeah. Wasn't no, that or was, Clash of the Titans. Was that it? Let me see. I'm going to look that up. OK. Clash of the Titans because they released something at the end of Clash of the Titans. Was it the Kraken? Yeah. The Kraken is the main antagonist. And oh. they release him. He's the big sea monster. Yeah. Well, there we go. But I, you know what? I'm just going to go with crack team of lawyers because why not? I think that's a good theory. I mean, it's a fun theory. We'll put it at that. It's not the answer probably, yeah. but it's a good one. But much I'll like give it to you. Donald Trump and Don Quixote, they, they didn't understand the premise of the Kraken either. The Kraken destroys heroes. The Kraken is the bad guy. Right. Eh, they're just they dumb. They just don't get it. They don't get it. They are just dumb. All right. Back to the good news. Let's see here. For Maria, pronoun she, her. A petition for Amy's court. Dong, dong. Okay. Defendant, Victoria, house cat, <laughs> a.k.a. queen of the house. Plaintiff, Maria, human, a.k.a. servant to the queen of the house. I put it to yes. you, who pleases the court, that this poor human servant, who has always been a good and dutiful servant to her mistress, must have a bit of relief in this matter. <laughs> The facts of the case. Every day at exactly 6 a.m., Victoria wakes her human up so she can fulfill her morning duties of feeding, playing, scooping, and holding the leash for going outside. However, 
as we live in Scandinavia. Oh, so you're familiar with the crappy. Mm. The sun comes up quite early in the summer yep. and thus do the birds. Oh. This, <laughs> these last weeks, the birds have started yelling at Victoria. Imagine the impertinence. Oh. Around 4 a.m. So Victoria gets up and yells back at them, and then she yells at her poor servant <laughs> just to let her know the birds are being disrespectful. Victoria soon discovers that it is way too early to get up and promptly falls asleep again until 6 when the normal morning routine starts. Right. Maria, however, the human, cannot fall asleep again as easily. Thus, it almost always transpires that she has just fallen asleep at 6 a.m. Oh. when she's awoken for her morning duties. Prayer for relief, because <laughs> that's, a, that's a term of art in the courts. I ask the court, if it is not fair... That Her Highness does not wake Maria before 6 a.m. I put it to the court that she may very well get up and watch the rude birds, but that she refrain from yelling at them or at her servant. Thank you for hearing my case. Enclosed pictures of Her Majesty. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. That's a pretty baby. I, I'm going to have to give it to Maria. Listen, I am all for... You know, the queens, the queens of the houses. I understand. Also, there's there should be like a special little um, asterisk that maybe the queen doesn't understand the birds are not actually yelling at her. So maybe there's just like a comprehension issue there. But I don't think that Maria should suffer because of that. So I say Victoria can get up if she wants to. And she could even like move around if she wants to. But she could probably even growl at the at the birds if she wants to, but she definitely shouldn't wake Maria up. I think that's I think that's a fair thing to ask. Fair rule. Yeah, or just make the quiet little chirpy sounds, you know, the, the clicks that my cat yeah. makes when watching birds. But I've also noticed yeah. here in the photos, Maria, that the curtains are open. Yeah, girl, what you doing? Maybe, and I'm sure this has been attempted, but, you know, maybe, maybe draw those curtains so that the queen mm -hmm. is unable to see the birds. Just a thought. Maybe it's as she hears the yeah, birds. That's what I was thinking. Is but you know, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I would say I would maybe prescribe. Now I'm going into my doctor mode that I don't have any, you know, real cat talent. And but I would say try, you know, a blackout curtain and maybe a white noise machine. Mm, that's nice. That's a good idea. Yeah, because I am I am concerned, though, if you do draw those curtains and Victoria hears the birds, your curtains could be in danger. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Didn't think of that. Well, best of luck, Maria. And best of luck. But you were in the right. Your plea has not fallen on deaf ears here at this court. We feel for you, but I just don't know what you can do about it. <laughs> oh, what a cutie. Cutie patootie. I wonder if it's a problem in the winter or if there's an opposite problem with Maria trying to get the queen up, but she can't because it's still dark out. Yeah, maybe. Let us know. But, you know, never wake a sleeping queen. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for all of your submissions. If you have anything you want to submit, send them in to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And thank you, Amy, for filling in today. I really, really appreciate it. Dana will be back tomorrow. You're welcome. <laughs> cool. I actually have a nickname that I'd like to submit for myself, a bad nickname. Yeah, do it. Okay, so when I was growing up, my parents would do this thing, and it was my—it just became my nickname after a while. And it's not really a name as much as it is a sound effect. So every time I'd walk in the room, they'd play the Jaws theme, but like you know, they'd sing it. So they'd go dun 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 dun. dun. So that was my nickname until I was like old enough to be like, "That's fucked up." I'm going to talk to my therapist about that. But that's my bad nickname. It's a pretty good one because here comes danger. Is that here comes trouble? Here comes danger. Dun 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 dun. There you go. <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome. That's <laughs> terrible. I have a retronym nickname because I was born first. Okay. And so when my younger sister was born, they called her B because she was second. Right. So it turned into like Leslie B and B butt and all this other stuff. And then 
I became A. Right. I became A-hole and she became B-butt. So that's sort of no. <laughs> a retronym, sort of retroactive nickname only to be applied after there was a second child in that's the house. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. But also probably had to unpack a little bit of that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now we just go by A-hole and butthole. And that's pretty much where we're at. That's great. We're, hey, both holes. <laughs> yeah, totally. Just keep Jeff Bezos's rocket away from us. Ugh. All right. Anyway, that's the show. And do you have any uh, final thoughts before we get out of here today, Amy? I'll I'll see you. I'll hear you on Friday. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be back on Thursday. You got a double dose, baby. Ooh, Ooh, yeah. Upgrade with two D's yeah. for a double dose of pimpness. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. And everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Amy Carrero. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. And the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.